Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as always by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. It's a nice sunny day. It is. You've been sunbathing, you told us just before this, which is a scary thought. <laughs> For anyone looking at a terrifying prospect, yes. Absolutely. And by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you? Uh, I am very well. The, the sun is here, shining above a grim Birmingham skyline. You know, play darts after this podcast, I think. The nice spring weather. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, we'll get into the topics. And of course, the, the largest story in the news uh, this week has been the controversy over the, the police crime sentencing and courts bill and its prospects um, relating to um, protesting. Sam, that's the story that you wanted to cover this week. So what is it about this bill you think that's been particularly contentious? Well, uh, just to give a brief overline, uh, the Westminster class have uh, voted it through uh, its second reading. Um, it's an absolutely mammoth bill. It's got 176 clauses of it. And um, it's, it's quite interesting because the bill, most of it is quite reasonable. You know, the stuff there about vandalizing national monuments, etc. And it, it, it sets stronger guidelines for, say, relations between coaches and their, um, the, the people under their control. Um, but 10 of the clauses give police unprecedented power to break up nonviolent protests. They can basically dictate the terms of the protest. They can impose a start and finish time, noise limits. Um, and also they now apply to just one person. Uh, if you guys will recall the, uh, I can't remember his name, but the, the stop Brexit guy, you know, that, that guy who just as a parliament. Yeah. Well, if he was still doing that, he'd be in the slammer. Um, is the, is the long and short of it. So it's a, it's a bizarre bill because for the most part, it's somewhat rational, but there's a lot of weird attitude in there. I imagine a lot of news readers would be grateful for the, the stop Brexit man being, being taken away from Westminster. Uh, but you're right. I think one of the important elements of this, as with most changes in law and order and policing over the last half century, uh, half century, yes, half century, um, is that a lot of the bill is quite reasonable, but that a small element of it, and as you say, I think there's 301 pages, something like this, so something which is fairly, um, it, it isn't going to be looked at by many members of the public, um, if any, um, and that there's a small element which is negative, essentially being pushed through the back door. Luke, what do you make of the, the, the changes this proposes to make to protesting rights? Well, it, it's... It's strange because it's protests, it's laws against protesting that aren't introduced under the veil of fighting COVID. It's for, um, it applies to all protests, just whether, again, whether they're generally disruptive or, or not. And uh, I think this is very clever, clever from the government with their foot in the door tactic. And we've probably all been sick to death of the protest we've seen. We saw all, all the vandalism last summer and we've seen the, um, the Capitol Hill riot, the riot in January. Uh, I think this um, sort of glossed over a, a, li a little bit by the public, but I think it, it will be forced through in the end. Hmm. I mean, again, it's something like, that you were saying to me, Michael, um, a while back on the phone, which is that uh, we were talking about the Shimana Begum case, um, about how, you know, when you, when you, when you set a precedent over someone you don't like, eventually it will come back to you. And, you know, I've, I've had, you know, journeys disrupted by, you know, climate protesters sitting on the train while I'm trying to get 
the team across London. You know, I've, I've you know I've internally loathed them, but um, there's a, there's a risk that conservatives make here where they go, yeah, that will show them the, you know, the statue topplers and the you know the the climate loons, but you know, this this will now come out to everyone now. I mean, we've um, and it it betrays something weird in in the the people protesting this in that they were more than happy to see cops manhandling people at the anti-lockdown protests. They sort of watched upon with glee, but now it's come back to them. So it's a, it's a cruel thing of politics when you force something into law that you want to weaponize, it'll just it'll come back and get you. Hmm. I mean, this is an interesting point that Toby Young made recently after the, the um, I would say shocking, but we're quite used to them now, the events of the Sarah Everand uh, vigil in which, in which, women uh, and men as well actually who who'd gone there to share their respect to this this woman um, were forced to the ground by police officers now a lot of people were, were angry about the events which unfolded here but as you say were, were silent last year um, and earlier this year um, about the mishandling of of lockdown protests or anti-lockdown protests rather and I think it's the the interesting point that some people um, just do not want to defend people who aren't completely aligned with them, even if the principle of the act which they're committing or the, the means by which they're communicating their ideas is agreeable and something you might like to use yourself, which um, is a problem I think we're going to find with this bill where many people which just won't raise any interest because at the moment they can't see that their own um, their own lives, their own views are threatened, but give it another 10 years, maybe not even that, and I'm sure they will be. Hmm. And on on the police end, it's another case of the, of, of um, money and resources being thrown in the completely wrong direction. You know, the, these people who you know who protest and disrupt things, yeah, it's it's a you know it's a it's a pain, it's a social issue. But when you look at what the police should be doing, I don't think they should be looking at you know people sitting on the ground in the street or you know occupying Trafalgar Square. I think it should be people who are you know violent criminals who are seriously harming people so committing you know serious offenses yet the police are powerless to stop them this bill would also give police it to um preemptively act to stop protests and as any reason can be given such that it may be disruptive the police can easily label extinction rebellion as a disruptive group easily label blm e perhaps e easily label um lockdown skeptics and all, all it takes is for one brick to be thrown through a window by one person and the, the collective punishment just falls like a cloud on, on everyone else. And so it just, will this mean protests are less likely to happen? I, I, I'm not sure, but certainly that um, the police, police will have in the power that they, they can stop them before or any evidence that um, it's violent or disruptive. I think, Sam, I mean, you, you mentioned that this, this bill is being introduced uh, so, sort of one um, takeaway of our liberty that hasn't uh, necessarily been COVID related. But what Luke just explained is essentially an extension of the, the thinking we've witnessed over the last year relating to COVID, uh, you know, the, sort of, uh, the sort of classroom tactics in which the action of one person is uh, branded across onto everybody else, such as when we were told that um, our, the great unlock from lockdown would be extended if um, if enough people don't vaccinate, if too many people are partying or breaking the rules or bending the rules, whatever, or are daring to see their families, then the whole country will suffer as a result. And I think that what you described there, Luke, seemed, seems to me to be an extension of that. Mm. And, to, and to 
Alan to Luke's point, yeah, it's not about um, COVID laws. It, it's it's just it's just a tough law for a tough law's sake, really. Can I just check? Go on, Luke. Go on. Well, you can. I, I, I was just I was just going to say um, whether the signing away our rights to um, sort of the cult of COVID and lockdowns has given that given the government this line of sight so to speak whether they would have tried this even without the pandemic happening just going back to a previous point as well on the the positive elements of this bill it's, it's quite disappointing actually because a lot of people are saying especially in response to uh, the the killing of sarah everand um, that this bill doesn't go far enough in protecting women and is only about uh, statues and then other criticisms such as those we've been highlighting just um, about the, the negative implications they'll have on protesting. Actually, the bill does contain a lot of quite positive points. It um, will introduce whole life orders um, for, a, for a range of serious crimes, which we would agree with. Um, it wants to stop the automatic halfway release of a number of again serious offensive such as sexual and violence offensive uh, sorry sexual and violent offenses which um itself would would be a tool for the protection of not only women but men as well um since they're the sort of crimes um people are talking about and this i think would act as a strong deterrent against certain acts of crime i mean currently i, I was reading up on this yesterday and um 43 percent um I'll say that bit again. Currently, I was looking at this yesterday. People who are serving 12 to uh, 12 month to two year prison sentences actually serve only uh, on average 43% of their terms, which makes a mockery of the system. It's a joke. Um, not even half, actually, in many cases, so never mind automatic halfway release. So I think the fact that longer sentences are being implemented, the fact that people won't be released automatically earlier on in their sentence act as a good deterrent for crime of all sorts, sexual, violent, uh, etc., cetera, um, which makes it all the more disappointing that the authorities included these points on, on protesting. I mean, do you think perhaps that that might have been on purpose, that elements such as this were, were slipped in the middle of, as we said, a massive bill in order to get them passed, but the, the timing of the vigil that we saw last week and questions over protesting rights more generally around lockdown have, have maybe made these elements, which at other times might have remained silent, come to the fore. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is suspicious timing because it's you know, during the last year, the government, I don't think any democratic government has held this much power over the British people since possibly the Second World War, right? Um, and it's, it's an authority that, that is being increasingly questioned and public consent is increasingly um, evaporating. And, if there's any more reasons put in place after this lockdown ends, I, I think there will probably be an explosion of protests. Um, this is just sort of covering the government's arse in that respect. Um, but the thing, the thing I, I find most annoying about, about the law is that it's it's blanket. You know, there's um, it's it, it doesn't account for the nuance of protests. Like for example, I remember being a kid and there was a, an old tree in a park that they were going to smash down and put a road through. And um, some people sat in the tree for about a week and they managed to reverse the decision. So this nice old, you know, tree in this bit of green land managed to stay. No one was seriously disrupted by that. And it, 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 it changed the, the authorities' minds on destroying a nice tree. Right? It, it seems quite innocuous, but 
something like, like that would be considered the same as you know, a, a, a protest shutting down, I don't know, the newspapers in London, like, like, like happened last year. Hmm. Uh, this, this annoys me in all aspects of the law. For example, I think the, the, the sale or serving of alcohol in, in pubs always frustrates me, the, the fact that it's so blanket um, and that people with their families um, who are slightly younger aren't are sort of forced out of these rules as a result. Especially, you know, countries like Italy have far different approaches on matters like this, and I don't think they suffer too much as a result. Um, I think there's, we've been, the, the legal system has been um, infected by jobsworths who have wanted to make decisions like this uh, blanket as you say and I think that's a good example actually because now of course given that there are time limits on the amount of time people are able to protest um, people who want to sit in front of objects would uh, rather not get destroyed uh, well we'll get told to clear off at a certain point and we'll face prosecution if they don't but interesting actually say uh, Sadiq Khan is currently doing a review into into which statues and monuments are allowed to stay in London what happens if Sadiq Khan says, actually, that statue's got to go? A lot of people think, no, I want it to stay. I'm going to sit in front of it. And then the police come and forcibly remove them after a certain amount of time since they're no longer allowed to protest. Oh, it, so actually, it, it depends who they arrest, the, the protesters or, uh, or Khan for damaging a, a statue. Because, because, like, <laughs> because, because <laughs> under, the, under the law, both are a crime. <laughs> Right, well, we're getting in the going in the right direction, then I suppose. <laughs> Shall we move along? Yes, I think so. Um, now, talking about the law and about changes in our relationship to the state, I think it's right, Luke, that we go to you next. Um, you've been looking—I was going to say this week, but actually, the news has only broke today—about um, the the prospects of the. Um, enforcement of COVID certificates. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, it's uh, as we can review, we'll be, we'll be dominated by um, power grabbing from um, this government. And so the, the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden, spoke to the press today and he said that um, COVID certificates, basically an internal passport, are a potential tool in the government's armory for um, reducing the COVID infection rate. And um, I can quote him here, he's saying that we will be testing whether we can use COVID certification to help facilitate the return of sports. This, this also, of course, includes um, festivals, theatres for, um, the, for June time when social distancing rules are scheduled to be scrapped in, its, in their entirety. But there's also a, a little drop of double think from the government's rhetoric. And uh, Dowden recently echoed Boris Johnson's comments that there will not be um, a, a, a vaccine passport or an internal passport, but the, it seems to me that the, the COVID certificate is calling it <coughs> calling it under a new name. So how would you prove to a, a licensed venue at a stadium or um, that, that you've had the vaccine without any, any formal documentation? And it, it also seems to me that um, when summer rolls around, when... Um, uh, we get our lives back piece by piece, that some lockdown restrictions such as social distancing won't, won't be erased, but sort of transfigured into other restrictions. So, and this is what we were going about when we're targeting collective groups. This, this is a case of, in fact, targeting individuals. It won't be social distancing to protect the masses. It will just pinpoint those who haven't had the vaccine, who um, haven't taken a COVID test and um, 
sort of single them out of society. And if this goes through, it, it will be an internal passport more than that. Yeah, and um, I was saying before we, before we were recording that uh, uh, Richard Tice of the Reform Party advocated something differently. The difference being that in that there was a sunset clause, which th th there hasn't really been in any um, of the government's uh, COVID, COVID rules. Um, it's it's always been in, indefinite, and this is the same. You know, like how long does this go on for? If the virus does become endemic, how long does, does this go on for? Does this go on forever? Is this is this you know the quote unquote new normal? Papers. I think national ID cards were only removed after being put in place during the Second World War in the sixties, for example, um, when people finally said. Uh, once approached by officers demanding to see their papers, no. Um, I can't imagine that same that same response being given even 20 years from now, um, unfortunately. So I, I think a sunset clause would be an advantage in legislation like this, but it was still quite disappointing to see Ty suggest anything along these sorts of lines, um, which seemed discriminatory and creating a, a bit of an us and them society. Um, in which some people are allowed to uh, carry on with, with their lives as normal and other people have to live as outcasts um, because they choose not to take the vaccine. Um, you do mention, Luke, that these certificates, of course, they're only proposed at the moment, so we don't know the full details, but it, it seems likely that um, a certificate would be warranted either for uh, someone who had had the vaccine or who could produce a negative test. It'd be interesting to know whether, I've not seen the reports on this yet since it's, it's quite early days, but it'd be interesting to see whether that negative test would have to be for a private supplier, as, as is the case with some uh, vaccine passports for international travel, whereby if you've refused to take the vaccine, then you have to pay quite a lot of money every time you go somewhere uh, in order to prove a negative test, which seems to me a trying to push people who would rather not take the vaccine to take it to save a bit more money. Um, I don't know if you've seen whether the, the, the testing people would have to undergo for this would be free or whether that would have to be something they'd have to fork out for. Well, people, as, as we've seen from, from this pandemic now, are, are just after convenience. That's why the, the lockdowns have proven popular with far too many people. And um, I think this from the government is a, a simple divide and conquer tactic. Uh, the government can say, oh, these people haven't been vaccinated. Be angry at them. Don't be angry at us for the continuation of lockdowns. And um, I mean, that, that, that's what they've, that's sort of the rhetoric they've played with before when they've introduced new lockdowns. They've said people are breaking the rules, people aren't following social distancing and sort of absolve themselves of blame. And we're seeing, seeing that continue. It's, it's it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's it's worth mentioning on on the line of life after lockdown, uh, talking about when it is that, that might come about. Now, following the the reports of a, a delay in um, vaccine numbers next month due to supplies in India um, keeping resources for a short space of time, there were reports that lockdown. Uh, might be extended a little, the roadmap, as it's called, out of lockdown might be extended. Um, the Prime Minister has denied this, but I think just the very prospects of that and the prospect of us receiving, I think it's five million less vaccines over the next month, um, led me to think about 
a, a wider question, which is um, one of those we've forgotten about a little over the last year whilst talking about the coronavirus, but it's still very important, I think, for our cause, and that is about home production. Um, surely the fact that the, the, um, the delivery of vaccines is going to be delayed by a whole month of five million vaccines is a good enough sign that we should be making these things ourselves. Why can't we? It's a vaccine. It's not. It's not uh, something which relies on um, on certain climates or on any other geographical feature. It's something which we could quite easily produce. Sam, I remember before we started recording, you said that um, vaccine vials used to be made in Sunderland up until a few years ago, whereas now they're made in the Netherlands. It seems to me to be a pointless waste of what could be a good opportunity both to get people into work to boost up the economy and also to make communities proud of something that they've made. And, and also the, the, the government always talks about how they want Britain to be you know, the, the science capital of the world, we want Britain to be a science and tech power. Well, we, if we aren't even making the you know, basic medicine here, then you know, are we? Well, I've got, got an example for you too. It's the, um, the government's COVID-19 self-test sheet, the, the one that they're giving to uh, school children, is uh, ma manufactured at the source at the Jimen um, Biotechnology Limited in uh, Fujian Province, People's Republic of China. So, um, <laughs> and the government has purchased millions upon millions of, of um, these, um, these self-tests from... Um, a foreign country that's been hostile to us in recent times, given, given us a pandemic for one thing. And um, yeah. Sunderland no longer makes vaccine vials. It's yeah. ludicrous. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it's so many bad trends for this country coming together in one. Hmm. I mean, there's also reports going on a slight tangents of a new coal mine, which is proposed to be built in, in Cumbria. But again, Conservative Party ministers have come out against the decision to build the mine here because it wouldn't be green enough and we shouldn't be using, or at least we shouldn't be opening new coal mines. But of course, as we all know, that would lead us instead to have to import more coal, coal which not only would likely be dirtier due to not having as advanced facilities for producing it, but also has to be shipped from one side of the world to the other, releasing even more emissions. So even by their own logic, these things don't work. Um, and yet they continue with them and almost nobody questions them and the the working class or what what exists of it still uh, suffers as a result year on year it's just an extension i think of the plight of factorism again yeah it's 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 that trend meeting a new one you know one of, one of not only um mine closures and, and importing but automation as well mm. yes this is the Tories' global Britain, isn't it? This is um, after Brexit. We, did, we didn't want to, you know, move manufacturing back, and in, instead we've just rather than focus on the single market, tether our economy to that. We'll just tether our economy to the rest of the entire world. Yeah, this is where the Conservative Party's clever on spin. They say they want to regain our sovereignty so that they can do more trade deals with countries even further away, with which we have even less in common. They say they want to regain control of our borders so that they can increase immigration, not reduce it. And they say they want to you know, bring back control on, on crime in other areas not relating to the European Union. And what do we see? We see over the last 10 years, 10 years in which they've been in power, half of Britain's police stations closed, which of course is a continuation of the, the trend since the 60s, um, which the Conservative Party has always 
um, not questioned and just helped facilitate. Um, and now, most lately, with the first story we discussed, through the back door, the, the limiting of protest rights of um, Britons by a party which is supposed to champion liberty um, and law and order. It's a complete yeah. joke. Yeah, the, the, this is where it all, it all intersects here, where the, the, the government is behaving increasingly erratic, increasingly disregarding the, the, the mental and social and economic health of the people, using us as, you know, guinea pigs in effect, um, while at the same time saying we can't go out and protest it. I mean, bear in mind, I, I'm not really a big fan of protests. So I, I personally wouldn't go to one. It isn't really my thing. But, but I mean, you know, you know, it's a response to a government going too far. And with that lack of response, the government is less easily heard by the people because they can hide behind, you know, spun news stories and the manipulated uh, media feeds. On the theme of spun media headlines and people swallowing news stories which have been framed in a certain way so as to please uh, this or that individual or organisation, I think it might be worth us moving on to the last topic, um, which is about children's early development, their uh, concentration levels and the impact on this um, of social media. Now, before we started recording, I was talking to Sam um, about the introduction, the upcoming introduction by Facebook of a new Instagram uh, channel, uh, Instagram for children, which presumably will be where children will share photos of their, their teddies and biscuit collections. Uh, so before recording, me and Sam talked about the, the upcoming introduction by Facebook of a new Instagram server or channel uh, just for children. Sam, you know a little bit more about this than me. So, so what is it that, that Facebook is, is, um, has declared it's going to introduce? Well, it's, it's, it's more of a pan Silicon Valley thing that they're, they're you know, not content with kids already being addicted to their iPads at the age of three. Um, it's, it started with YouTube Kids, which um, if you've ever seen it in action, it's basically just a, a shiny set of keys the parents are dangling in front of their toddler when they're crying and screaming. Um, so yeah, they're, they're looking at launching Instagram for kids. It's um, proof that uh, not even kids are safe from the relentless march of modernity. Um, there's not really much to say about the app as a whole, as it's, it's only in early development. It's not, um, hasn't been formally announced or anything, but it's based on remarks that a, I think a senior figure of Facebook made on Twitter, um, essentially saying, uh, this is what the company are looking at doing. Um, you know, there should be, before this, I think there should be serious uh, investigations into the effects of you know, relentless social media feeds on the mind of a child. This is, you know, anyone who's been on Twitter and Instagram will know that at times it's not at all appropriate for children. Um, but it seems that the people, the people who really had the power to, you know, uh, make or break this thing don't really care about that. Mm. I mean, this strikes as well as the, the, the wider idea of children's time um, on electronic devices more generally. Um, and I think the reason that this story um, might be found interesting this week in particular is that there's been the release of a, a new study. These studies come out all the time. And I think the, the relationship between uh, screen time and, and poor development has been very well established. But it's, it's always important to update this. And um, a, a new study, as I say, which has linked the, uh, suggested that more than an hour per day 
spent on screen for young children either between 18 months and up to five years uh, can make children more hyperactive um, weaken their concentration skills shorten their attention span um, and also quite interestingly i think makes it more troubling for them uh, to connect with other people and to make friends so it's not just that these people yearn to spend time on social media it's that they are incapable of 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 bonding with people outside of the technological world they, they simply haven't had the time and experience of communicating with people enough in the real world um, in order to be able to produce friends uh, when they get to, to school and other things like this um, I think you said that extended use up to uh, at six, at 18 months sorry leads to about a 60% increase um, in the child developing poor relationship skills by five a pretty stark stark relationship there um or lack of indeed um so i think that is sort of the wider point that a lot of people when facebook develops this new interface will be able to get lots of friends and likes online but when they get to the field when lockdowns are over we'll find it much more difficult to actually approach a human being mm. and talk and make friends mm. it, what makes this malicious is that that the social media oligopoly of Silicon Valley knows how damaging their product is. The, the, the children of Bill Gates and Zuckerberg have um, tight controls on when they're allowed to use social media, sometimes only for a few minutes a day. This is like, you, can't, you don't get hired for your own supply. It's a sort of a slogan that can apply here. And, um, but social media, as um, Silicon Valley knows, it's very addicting. And you staring at your your screen all day generates a lot of money for them through advertisements and social media, like like all addictions, it needs you hooked to um survive. And the the way we're living now is absolutely unprecedented. Um, it's increasingly it's it's becoming increasingly clear that we have virtually nothing in common with people who live even a couple of let's just go because our lives are lived, this our social lives are lived primarily online. Um, we don't even know the true effects of this on adults, let alone children. You know, there's never been a generation before in human history who have been raised like this. Um, the, th the three of us are, are a bit older, so we, we still remember, you know, dial-up and, and old big clumsy white uh, computer screens. Um, but for kids who are true natives of this, so it, I mean, I, I've in the last ten years that I've been using it, so I was about fourteen. I've noticed how it's affected me negatively. You know, and that's just, that's just in, a, in a tenure period that started when I was in, in my, in my mid-teens. This is, these are children who from, you know, the, the age of three or four are like completely um, enraptured in this. And if, if, it, if the effects are negative, which I, I think they are, raising a whole generation from this point upwards is, is going to be a disaster. Yes, well, as I think we've implicitly, implicitly implied earlier, it's a self-reinforcing mechanism. The so the communication skills drop, attention spans drop, and that just keeps them coming back to social media, and this negative cycle perpetuates for eternity. And um, it, as I say, social media is incredibly addicting, but it's not classed as an addiction with any notable health authority. It's, I think comedian Bill Maher called it the new smoking because everyone's just constantly hooked to, to their phones and um, all the likes are just the new nicotine of, of the modern age. Mm -hmm.
the frustrating thing about this, as with so many other aspects of our sort of societal decline, is that people knew this was going to happen, that the children would get hooked and that it would uh, damage their development and change them into rather different beings. There's a, a letter from as early as 1950 when um, television was available in, in Britain but not widely accessed. It's the sort of period we, we always hear about where, where families would would gather in one house in the street to watch large events on the television uh, because only one family had a TV. Of course, the generation before that, um, only one family on the street would have a radio, so they'd all gather around that. Um, but in 1950, television was more widely available in America, which, as with many uh, negative societal trends, um, uh, kicked the can down the road first. And T.S. Eliot wrote a, a letter in the Times, which should have been taken so much more seriously, which is uh, republished in Peter Hitchens's Abolition of Britain, uh, Britain in which he notes, um, I've just returned from a, a visit to the United States, where television, though not, I believe, more developed technically, has become a habitual form of entertainment in many more households than here. I find only anxiety and apprehension about the social effects of this pastime, and especially about its effects mentally, morally, and physically upon small children. He goes on and asks that we should inquire more seriously into the impacts of television on uh, the uh, children's development before we introduce it wide scale across Britain. But of course his warning was missed. And, and what would he say now of the, technical, the technological age in which we live where, where TV is sort of the least of our problems? I imagine children now actually spend very little time watching the TV. They're far more interested in social media, the iPad, and of course the smartphone. Um, within which all aspects of life can be carried out. You apparently communicate with others, you gain your uh, entertainment, your social contact, um, you, you measure all things which might normally be done elsewhere, you, you plan your lives through diaries on these things. Everything uh, is done on these apps and of course the, the producers of them make sure that that is the case and you said earlier Luke about the the um, the extent to which social media is addictive. And again, that is a, a purposeful element of design in which algorithms are used to detect what people like to see and don't like to see and make sure that the only things that come up on the feed are those which people do like to see so they spend more time on it. These things have been very carefully manipulated and the impact, as you say, Sam, is only just being begun because we've not yet had a full generation who have grown up with social media, but I think in 30 years time, uh, we'll realize quite what we've done. The, the point that I made when I first saw the story was that the, the success or failure of Instagram for kids really depends on one thing, which is uh, parenting. This is an issue where parents need to step up and do the right thing for their kids, which is to seriously look at the amount of time they're spending in this you know superficial artificial space where nothing's real everything's curated everything's you know misleading um it's up to parents now to do right by their kids and give them a you know a quote-unquote normal life the problem is is that um not so much now as we say this is the first main generation but there's still many young parents who will be bringing up children at this time and increasingly as you go into the future the idea of a normal upbringing will include using social media. That will be the norm. It's sort of the, the, the chain reaction in education where you say 
why isn't it that the teachers can improve on their standards or can can teach this element or that element um, that is currently being missed? Well, that's because when they were at school, the teachers themselves were taught um, the the incorrect elements or in the in the wrong fashion, and so they are teaching what they believe to be normal, even though 60 years ago it would have been considered abnormal. The same with social media, to not sit around the dinner table whilst eating and to discuss is increasingly becoming the norm. I think it's quite rare actually that the families actually actually do that to spend half an hour a day to talk um, and to, to think about what has happened through the day. I imagine in many households, even while this does happen, there'll still be an iPad present to, to numb the mind of the smallest child, which, which otherwise would be too noisy. When I worked at retail in various areas in Birmingham, and Luke, you've probably seen this where you work as well, um, all the time, if a petulant kid comes in, we see that what pacifies them isn't either a small toy or even a reproachful look from a parent or a, a firm telling off, but the iPad. I remember sitting in Waterstones once and I was sat down and all of a sudden I uh, trying to read whilst having a drink. Heard the noise behind me. Old MacDonald had a farm, kept on going on, kept on going on. I thought, what the hell is this going on? Turn around. Lo and behold, it was a small child who was playing up a little bit. And so rather than give them a book in this library of books, a, a bookshop, for goodness sake, with four floors, plenty of them, thousands of the things, they handed over a little iPad with a nice dancing man and a happy little American tune. And that, I think, sums up pretty much what is considered now to be the norm amongst parents. Speaking of McDonald's where I work, we have um, sort of little touch pads on some of the tables, which mm. is it, it, for families. I think that's just because, um, well, it, it pacifies children and it makes going out to the restaurant just that little bit more convenient for parents rather than have to corral screaming children around. Very bizarre thing. I remember when I first saw it when I was younger, I thought it was very bizarre. I think for parents that want to sort of give their children what we would call a normal life, you know, in the real world with real friends, not Facebook friends, they're sort of kept in a prisoner's dilemma because everyone else is doing the opposite of what they're trying to desperately avoid. Yeah. So, it, it do, makes it do you raise your children in isolation? Do you scour the internet ironically to find groups that hate social media? It's like, well, what of course, options are there available to you? I think we've talked about this before. I think we, we all ended up having phones at what the time was seen as being conventional, around 11, am I right? You had it? I, I had a... Yeah, I had, I had a Sony Ericsson Walkman when I was 11. And yes. Yeah, it had room for five songs on it. And yeah, about, about the same for me. Yeah. I imagine for you, Luke, as well. That seems fairly yeah. conventional at the time. Yeah, right. But, you have the old Nokia bricks when I was about 12 or something. Yeah, same for me. But increasingly, as you say, um, th this sort of thing is moving much earlier where young children have Instagram accounts um, and social media platforms. Um, that... If you want to raise your child without these things, it's increasingly difficult because every other parent around you isn't following those guidelines. Instead, they are raising them with social media. And then, of course, the, the child thinks, quite understandably, why aren't I involved in this? How come my friend has this and I can't have it? Do I not deserve it? Have I not been good enough? When, in fact, the opposite is true, that, that the parent is trying to take even more care of the development of their child and the job is made a lot more difficult for it. But I think that really is the point of parental responsibility. Um, that it's not easy and that often you have to overcome challenges, especially um, whilst parents around you um, make bad choices. That makes it even more difficult for you to make the right choice because the, the child is, finds these bad choices appealing. Hmm. Um, 
yeah. And, and how, how do you overcome that? It is difficult. Yeah, I, mean, I had that same thing when I was a kid. So like, you know, oh, what? Why has this kid got all the you know, the Merlin football stickers? And I haven't. Yeah, it, it, that's natural. But the thing that is being demanded for that reason has become something innocuous and something harmful. You know, like the the, the internet is it's fine for people like us who are have you know. It, the equivalence of street smarts on the internet. We know what's dodgy and what's not. We know, you know, when someone's being genuine and when someone isn't. Um, you can tell that when you're this age and older, but when you're a kid, you've you no idea. Right, I think that's a good point then to to go on to the, the MISC stories. Anything else that, that has been going on through the week which we've found interesting? Um, I think the key one being the Nicola Sturgeon debacle. She's now been found... Uh, by a vote to have misled Parliament. She's still hanging on to her job for dear life, which uh, is something that we'll, we'll see developing over the next couple of days. Although, to be fair, given, knowing our record, she'll, she'll resign an hour after we do this recording, and by the time it goes out, it'll, it'll be obsolete. True. That is true. Um, well, of course, David Davis um, released some information in the, in the Commons this, um, this week which previously hadn't been allowed, um, which of course has, has added on to the, the allegations against her. Who, if she were to go, do you think might be likely to take over from her position? Anyone that people on this side of the border would know, or is it going to be a bit of a, 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 a nobody as far as we're concerned? The, the, well, the biggest name in the party bar her at the moment is Hamza Yusuf. Mm. The... Uh the architect of our nightmares. <laughs> is, when, is when he's one of the co-authors of the hate crime bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he'll be a perfect fit for the SNP. Yeah. I think we've said before that whatever happens in this whole debacle, um, the, the impact on Scottish nationalism itself is actually quite slim. Um, well, you say that, Michael. There's, re- recent polling has shown um, a significant jump in favour of uh, Remain given... A referendum held tomorrow. Right. So you think that so this might be the final straw then for some for some Scottish voters. The next few weeks are pivotal. They'll either just bounce back like nothing happened, or um, also there's there's a Scottish votes this year, isn't it? So um, hmm. we'll, we'll we'll see on that regard. There's there's been a lot of talk of uh, tactical voting to get the SNP out of certain seats. Right. Um, yeah, well, well, it's too early to tell. I mean, the, the SNP has managed to sort of cling on thus far, so. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in which case, then, we'll, we'll report back when we come back for another, for another week in review. Um, and until then, I think we'll call it today. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers.